Democratic voters who are supporting Bernie Sanders are furious. They're outraged that this man is losing. We've heard accusations of hard rigging. The primary has been rigged. The votes have been changed. The exit polls don't match the turnout. And now we are seeing for the second day, hashtag Dem exit, which means Democrat exit. We saw this occur back in the last election cycle as progressive Democrats vow to quit the Democratic Party and they refuse to support the nominee. According to exit polls, around 19% of Bernie Sanders supporters are saying they will not support Joe Biden. What's interesting about this is that in the last election cycle, 12 to 18% of Bernie Sanders supporters actually voted for Donald Trump. So I have to wonder, will we see a massive contingent of Bernie or bust, or dare I say, Bernie or Trump voters severely hurting Joe Biden? Now, there's other stuff coming out of this, of these exit polls that are fascinating as well. People keep saying that Bernie Sanders is the feminist candidate. He's the leftist candidate. He's the progressive, that he's building a coalition of young people, minorities and women. And it turns out that is not true. The exit polls show us that Joe Biden is winning among minorities as well as women. And Bernie Sanders actually has lower support among white men and college educated white men than he did in 2016. More people are coming out to support Joe Biden, which is overshadowing the youth vote as well. Bernie Sanders is not mustering this progressive coalition. So I take it with a grain of salt when these people say they're Democrats and they're quitting. Because as some people have pointed out, if you're planning to quit and you're not going to support the nominee allowing Trump to win, you were never a Democrat in the first place. And there you go. Because Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. He's independent. So this makes sense. But I I will leave it at there are still many people who are Democrats who don't like the idea of creepy, sleepy Joe being the nominee. I mean, the dude doesn't know where he is, but I'll tell you what, it's a rock and a hard place for Democrats right now. What are you going to choose? 78 year old socialist who just had a heart attack or creepy Joe Biden who doesn't know where he is. They're, they're actually reducing the amount of time he's seen in public because he gaffes and just misstates things so often. The dude can't talk straight. You think he's going to be able to go up against Donald Trump? I'm sorry. I think you're nuts. But now, now they've actually changed the debate rules. We'll see what happens. Come, I believe it's on Sunday, where the, what they were reporting before is that Joe Biden will get to sit down for this one, which I got to say, man, it is, not, it is not good news for Democrats. So let's do this. Let's read why these Democrats are saying they will quit the party and why many others are saying they will write in Bernie Sanders if it ends up being Joe Biden. Before we get started, however, head over to TimCast.com donate. If you'd like to support my work, there's several ways you can give. But the best thing you can do, share this video if for, for any other reason, just to support my channel. But I really do sincerely hope we can break some echo chambers. I'm not entirely confident, but we can try, right? The other thing I'll say is many of you haven't subscribed to my channel. So if you do like my content and want to make sure you stay up to date, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell because YouTube is no longer, well, they're reducing the amount of recommendations they give to my channel. Meaning if you're not subscribed, you probably won't see this content in the future. So make sure you stay up. But let's read from Newsweek. This is from yesterday as Michigan votes, Dem exit trends with Sanders supporters threatening to leave the Democratic Party if Biden wins the nomination. They say it comes as voters in so-called Super Tuesday two states headed to the polls after Biden dealt a humbling blow to Sanders campaign in the Super Tuesday voting contest last week. The Vermont senator will need a good showing tonight to regain momentum for his campaign. Well, as we now know, guess what? Joe, Joe Biden 
crushed Bernie Sanders. So here's what we ended up seeing. And I'll move to the more relevant story from today. This person tweeted, if Joe Biden gets the nomination, I will dem exit who will join me. This person says I am leaving the Democratic Party if they nominate Biden. The moderate wing of the party cannot expect the progressives to jump behind any candidate they nominate. I swear I will not vote for Biden. I promise I will not vote for Biden. This person says most Bernie supporters were very clear from the start. Bernie is our compromised Democrat. You insist on Hillary on steroids, Biden, and now you want to whine. Nah, have the courage of your convictions. So these people are, I find this interesting. Bernie Sanders coalition tends to be young people and they're effectively holding the Democratic Party hostage. Over on the Republican side, Republicans are unified behind Donald Trump. They basically are just, hey, whatever Trump says. Now, there has been some, you know, there have been some criticisms in the past, foreign policy, uh, for instance, and some current modern issues. But for the most part, Republicans all agree. Now, they don't completely agree. But the one thing they do agree on is letting Donald Trump take the reins and run the show. Over on the Democratic side, it looks like two different parties with one group of around 19%. Check this out. Let me show you these stats. Democratic primary voters committed to voting for the Democratic nominee in November. And among Sanders voters, only 81% were willing to commit. And according to CNN, they say 19% of Sanders voters in Michigan say they will not vote for the Democratic nominee, regardless of who it is in the election for president this November via CNN exit polls. I think what he means to say is if it's, it's, it's Sanders voters, if Bernie Sanders doesn't get the nomination, these people will not vote for the Democratic Party. And I find it funny. I can respect it to a certain degree, right? He's the person you want. You won't vote for anyone else. All right, right on. But clearly, I, I think it's a fair argument to say they're actually, to an extent, okay with Donald Trump as being, a pres- as being the president. What a lot of these more mainstream Democrats don't realize, these establishment types, these resistance types, is that to most of the Bernie Sanders supporters, Biden and Trump are, are almost no different. Now, to Trump supporters, Trump supporters view them both as completely different. In fact, in one story from Town Hall, they say, no, Joe Biden is not a moderate Democrat. So I do find it interesting that Republicans view Joe Biden as a leftist, Bernie as super far left. But to the progressives, Joe Biden and Trump are almost the exact same thing. I'm going to have to say right now, I think, to a, to, a, to a certain extent, based on what the progressives are, they care about. I mean, Joe Biden, as part of the Obama administration, Obama was called the deporter in chief. So yeah, Bernie Sanders is relatively close to Trump based on how far away the far left is, right? So keep that in mind. Joe Biden may not be a centrist. I love how they call him a centrist. He's not. But Bernie and the progressives and the far left, they're so far left when they look down the, you know, look to the right, they see Joe Biden and Trump you know, close to each other, whereas Bernie is ridiculously far away. Now, of course, many of the, these people who are threatening to quit the Democratic Party, guess what? They're probably real people because we saw the exact same thing in 2016. But the resistance, anti-Trump, pro-Biden people can't accept it. It must be Russia. Of course. Check out this tweet. This is from Miss Krasenstein. You remember the Krasensteins? Warning. All of these are GOP and Russian hashtags. Oh, you people don't buy into it. They're trying to prevent Bernie Sanders from supporting Joe Biden so that Trump wins an election. He has no chance in hashtag bye bye Bernie, bye bye Biden, right in Bernie. Biden loses to Trump. Let me tell you something. Progressives don't want Joe Biden. And come on, man, you got to recognize that there are regular people who aren't far left who also don't want Joe Biden. 
Like this dude can't speak. He doesn't know where he is at the time. But no, no, they're going to claim it's Russia and Republicans. And this is the amazing problem I have seen with the Democrats as to why they won't win. On one side, you have the resistance anti-Trump at all costs, and they refuse to accept that there are progressives who disagree with them and say Russia, 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 Tulsi Gabbard, Russia, Jill Stein, Russia, and all these people complaining who are threatening to quit the party, Russia. Meanwhile, the progressives are also refusing to compromise. They say Bernie Sanders is the compromise, but Bernie Sanders is proposing one of the most radical positions in the world on health care, abolishing private health insurance within four years. My understanding is that most countries, especially in Europe, they have supplemental private insurance. So that seems really extreme. You have two factions that are essentially under the same umbrella, though they don't agree on most things. And they refuse to compromise, but they also refuse to, to leave their bubble. So they just end up thinking they're the only ones who are correct. That's the problem. The Democratic Party is basically like two or three different parties that don't agree with each other and can't unify around a candidate because Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. He's independent. So I will take it with a grain of salt when people say they're going to quit the party. But I want to show you this data. This is a story from uh, this month. And they say, well, something interesting. Some, uh, some, such trolling, referring to Trump, may have paid off somewhat in 2016. 12% of voters who supported Sanders in the Democratic primary wound up voting for Trump over Clinton in the general election. It seems he's once again hoping that playing up the divide could nab him voters from people who backed Sanders in the primary. But it is unclear if those 2016 defectors were adamantly pro-Sanders or simply anti-Clinton. The white working class voters who formed part of the foundation of Sanders' 2016 run have appeared to join Biden's coalition this time around. Trump's efforts to pull in their support then may be in vain. It's actually a really good point. People absolutely hated Hillary Clinton. And I'll, t- I'll tell you what, that's a statement almost everyone's going to agree with. Yeah, we get it, man. Hillary was a terrible, terrible candidate. She was, she was snide, elitist, and she had this air of just, you know, she was just very narcissistic and arrogant about how smart it was the worst kind of attitude to have. People just didn't like it. Well, Joe Biden comes around and the guy comes off as kind of goofy, kind of silly to a lot of people, kind of creepy, but he is no Hillary Clinton. Now, here's the next big trend. This story from from Breitbart I find absolutely fascinating. Write in Bernie trends on Twitter as Bernie Sanders fans struggle with losses. Here's what's fascinating. As these Democratic voters vow to quit the party, they're vowing to write in Bernie Sanders, which is absolutely going to be a spoiler and help Donald Trump. I don't like this, you know, this this, this system, you know, more, you know, uh, like, like most people, we complain about spoiler campaigns and things like that. It really does happen. But I think you should always vote based on principle. So you know what I will say to these people who want to write in Bernie or quit the Democratic Party? You know what, man? I respect it. I personally would only vote for the person I want. And I said, if it came down to like Andrew Yang, though Andrew Yang now recently endorsed Biden, I roll. I'd be interested in voting for Yang, not because I thought he was going to win, but because I thought he was the best person to debate Trump and get these ideas out there. And if it wasn't him, I'm out. And around 42% of Yang supporters said something similar. So I'm not interested in voting for any of these people. I don't care. I guess for the most part, I'm kind of ambivalent. If I see, you know, actually, I think Bernie has a lot of really bad ideas. But for the most part, I don't think, you know, people don't seem to realize that a president isn't going to bring about this dramatic change, they think. I mean, Trump has made, has done a lot of things uh, under the, uh, as leader of the executive branch. 
Biden did many things. But for the most part, the laws in this country, everything, it changes gradually. And politics is downstream from culture. So I'm not super concerned for the most part. But I'll tell you what, you're not going to get me out of my seat to go and vote for any of these people. For the people who truly do support Bernie and want to see him win, writing him in, I actually find that respectable. I don't like the idea that it's the two parties or else, but I certainly think that if 19% of Bernie Sanders voters leave and refuse support Biden, Biden will not be able to muster the count needed to defeat Donald Trump. One of the things we've seen, well, well so, this, so this, this is a story we have recently. I'll just go over this very quickly. Sanders vows to carry on. We get it. But one of the most fascinating things I've seen so far comes from BuzzFeed. Bernie, Bernie Sanders has one of the same problems Jesse Jackson did in 1988. The coalition isn't big enough. And there is a bunch to break down here. But the first and most fascinating thing is that, did you, you, know, you know that Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. He's been independent. He's a socialist. He's not, he caucuses with Democrats, but he is not a Democrat. And Democrats have been offended by this for a long time. Bernie, in my opinion, seems to know his only path towards high office, you know, higher profile office, is to run as a Democrat because Republicans are not going to go anywhere near his progressivism or socialism. In 1988, when he was involved in the Jesse Jackson campaign, check this out. BuzzFeed links to this. Here's a story. They say, uh, let, me, let me see where I can, where I can figure it out. One voter, Helen Mallet Malloy, yelled from the back of the auditorium, we want unity among ourselves, not with a group of outsiders. Several minutes later, she approached Mayor Sanders as he was re- returning to his seat after casting his vote and slapped him on the cheek. The mayor who at first appeared to think the woman was about to greet him, looked stunned. I don't think that was very nice, he said. Mr. Jackson had no paid staff in Vermont for either of the primaries, blah, blah, blah. Bernie Sanders actually got slapped in the face by a Democrat who was mad. Um, um, uh, Presumably, I mean, I I think that's what what would happen. I want to make sure this is clear. They say in 1988 at the Michigan caucus, after winning across, uh, you know, Michael Dukakis, the pragmatic, I can win liberal, crushed Jesse Jackson. But they go on to say that, a woman shot in a response, or actually, let me start over. A few weeks after the Wisconsin primary in Burlington, the city's mayor, Bernie Sanders, caucused for Jackson despite not being a member of the party. I resent intruders who would undermine and destroy the Democratic Party, announced one resident from the podium. A woman shouted in response from the back, we want unity among ourselves. Now the group of outsiders, she walked up to Sanders and she slapped him in the face. Bernie Sanders does not represent Democrats. Now, Joe Biden's got an uphill battle, too, because he's drifted as well, trying to grab onto these progressive voters. And it's and it's turning people into conservatives. But let's talk about this coalition that's supposed to exist. I, I, I told you about George McGovern in a, in a previous video I did a couple weeks ago. McGovern was supposed to be this, at least according to the, the stories I've read, I was not alive at the time. He was supposed to be a progressive he was going to be the coalition candidate bringing together, you know, college educated voters and minorities and women to defeat Richard Nixon. And this is what happened. McGovern won only Massachusetts and Washington, D.C., and Nixon got 520 electoral electoral votes in a massive, massive defeat. It was epic. This was supposed to be the coalition candidate. Well, I'll tell you what right now. Check this out. Exit polls show Joe Biden primary wins fueled by women and African-American voters. I thought I thought Bernie Sanders was the guy of the minorities and the progressives. Nope, he is not. He's a man of the far left. And man, it is so disproportionate. Check this out. Biden gets boost in Mississippi from African-American voters in Mississippi. 
Joe Biden got 84% of the African-American vote. I kid you not. Bernie Sanders with 13%. Are you kidding? And he's supposed to be this. Nah, I'm sorry, man. Bernie Sanders absolutely cannot muster this. Now, over at Newsweek, they say this. Why Bernie Sanders lost Michigan to Joe Biden despite winning the state in 2016. And there's some interesting information here. They say, Sanders eked out a narrow victory in Michigan against Hillary Clinton in 2016. So why did he fail to secure the same outcome in the mitten state this year? The answer can be found in the exit polls. They showed that younger voters failed to flock to the polls in the same way that the Sanders campaign hoped for. In fact, younger voters accounted for less of the turnout than it did in 2016. His performance among younger voters was overshadowed by that of Biden's ability to win over older voters who accounted for a larger slice of the overall electorate. Sanders also received less support from white and male voters this time around. Amazing. White male voters gave Bernie less support this time. You want to know why that is? You want to know what my opinion is on why people I know don't like Bernie anymore? Early on in 2016, Bernie seemed to be a rational guy. Then he said on the debate stage, if you're white, you don't know what it's like to be poor. And he lost a lot of people. Since then, Bernie has surrounded himself by these fringe, woke, identitarian leftists. I won't name them, but there's many who are acting as surrogates for, for, for Bernie Sanders. What do you think a white male will, will feel or do when they see these people around Bernie saying these things? They're going to be like, I'm out. You insult me, I'm out. I don't like that. I think you've got crazy beliefs. I am out. So I'm not surprised in the least bit to see that Bernie received less support from white male voters. They say the dismal showing from younger voters is despite claims by Sanders that he has the ability to draw young new voters to the polls. After a similar showing on Super Tuesday this week, surrogates for the self-described Democratic Socialist on Capitol Hill told Newsweek that he needs to broaden his support among the electorate and energize his base to turn out if he hoped to remain a viable candidate. Unfortunately, Bernie Sanders needs votes he's not getting. Joe Biden is dominating. Now, it's fair to say Bernie Sanders has absolutely dominated in the younger generation uh, votes. Here's the thing, though. You're, 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 you're congratulating yourself about winning over a, de- a demographic that doesn't actually vote. It's like opening a business and cheering that every, your, your, your business is every seat in your coffee shop is full, but it's people who don't buy anything. They just read books. Like, dude, you're not going to win that way. Your business can't survive that way. Now, <laughs> this is silly, but I'm going to show it anyway. Already, this dude Clyburn is calling for the Democrats to shut the primary down, cancel the debates, and just give it to Joe Biden. Okay, no, nah, you can't do that. If you want to see absolute chaos in the streets, do that. You, you can't. Bernie Sanders is down, but let's be honest, he isn't out. He's trailing Biden by around like 80 or so votes, I think. Or actually, I think it's about maybe 60 or 70. I'm, elector, uh, I'm sorry, delegates. It's very unlikely Bernie wins at this point, but it is a close race. We'll see what Bernie says. He's vowing to fight. He wants to debate Joe Biden. And hey, look, man, Joe Biden one-on-one might get absolutely ob- obliterated. Bernie Sanders might actually pull forward when people realize Joe Biden can't speak. And, what, and, and right now, I think Bernie is right when he says that while he may be losing, you know, or I'm sorry, while he may be winning on, on uh, issues and on the youth vote, he's losing on the idea of electability. Bernie Sanders is now hoping that after the debate with Joe Biden, they'll realize Biden is not electable. And I gotta, I've got to be honest, I don't think either of them are for the most part, but I do think Bernie is more electable than Biden in electability. It's a silly word, but I'll, I'll put it this way. 
You stick Joe Biden next to Trump and he mutters and mumbles. People are going to be like, I'm not voting for that guy. I don't care what he thinks. And Bernie Sanders will articulate his bad ideas. But at least some people might be like, that's a bad idea. You know, like, hey, that bad idea sounds good to me. If you can't even speak, how can you win? So while Bernie Sanders may have ideas I completely disagree with, and I think he hasn't completely you know, formed they're not complete ideas, at least he can say, I'm going to give you health care. People are going to hear that and they're going to say, I understand. Joe Biden's going to say, oh, health care and the reelection of, you know, uh, Frumble Mizzle. And you're going to be like, I have no idea what that was. And then Joe Biden's going to just mutter incoherently because that's literally what he does. I'm surprised people think that guy's electable. So maybe, maybe Bernie gets it. However, 538 disagrees. The latest prediction model from 538 has Joe Biden with a greater than 99% chance of winning. Look, man, this thing has been absolutely bonkers, this prediction model. So I'm not going to pretend like it's legit. But right now, that's what they're predicting. 99 in 100 chance that Joe Biden wins. Maybe that's the case. Bernie Sanders now has around the same chance as Tulsi Gabbard, according to Nate Silver's 538. And over in the Real Clear Politics average, we can see that Joe Biden has now is polling above 50%, 53.4, the highest he's ever been. As the field consolidates, the moderate votes go to Biden, and it's likely that Biden will take the nomination. But now you might ask, if Bernie or bust happens, Democrat exit occurs, 19% of Sanders voters dip out. Will, will Biden be able to muster the coalition he needs? Well, Biden may be doing better than Bernie. Without those Bernie voters, he might not be able to win. In fact, some of them might flip for Trump just because, I don't know, spite. Some of them actually might agree with Trump. In which case, can, can Biden really win? Well, according to Maxine Waters, she said, I don't know if Biden has what it takes to, to beat Trump. Now, this is a story from Just the News. Typically, I, I use stories that are rated by NewsGuard, but let's, let's just read what, what, what they said. Rep Maxine Waters, chairwoman of the House Financial Services Committee, said Tuesday she doesn't know if Joe Biden has what it takes to defeat President Trump and declined to share her opinion of the former vice president's fitness for office. Waters was asked if she is supporting Biden or Bernie, and she said, uh, quote, it's not about who you like, Waters told Just the News on Capitol Hill ahead of Tuesday's presidential primaries. It's about now watching and understanding who can beat Trump. Asked if Biden could beat Trump, she replied, I don't know, but we'll see. I got to say, that's not confidence building. If your own party is unsure if you have what it takes to beat Trump, well, I guess it's better than lying. I got to be honest. I respect her for saying I don't know, because of course, you'll see Pelosi or whoever else argue, we're going to get behind whoever wins the nomination. Oh, please. I mean, yes, technically they, they, they probably will, but begrudgingly. And they also do this thing where like, we absolutely will win. Pelosi has said over and over and over again, we're going to win in November. We're going to win the House, the Senate, and the presidency. We get it. You're just trying to puff people up. You, we, no one thinks you're actually going to win. I'll wrap it up with, with some important context. While we're talking about Joe Biden, uh, you know, dominating in the, in the primaries and Bernie Sanders not mustering coalition support, as well as his supporters vowing to quit. What do we have? With 99% reporting in Michigan, real Donald Trump has 637,000 votes, absolutely crushing previous Republican and Democratic incumbents. By comparison, Obama had 174,000 votes in 2012. I, I got to say, I think the support for, for this president, Donald Trump, is through the roof. And the polls are probably not reflecting it. But hey, man, I don't like making predictions. I think Trump's going to win, but we will see. Hubris will be the downfall of Trump supporters if they think they're going to win. 
I think the data we're seeing from that primary the other day shows us just how much people hate Hillary Clinton. And that's why Bernie can't win because, hey, Biden is, is better than both, it would seem. Perhaps that hatred played a role in Donald Trump winning. And now that she's out, Joe Biden might be able to get a little bit more support. I'm not entirely convinced. I think so many people are tired of the woke far left insanity that many people now view themselves as conservative and are happily getting behind Trump. But we will see in November, won't we? I'm not going to tell you what to do or believe, but I will say hubris is the downfall of the Trump supporters, because just like Hillary Clinton thought she couldn't lose, the Trump supporters, if they think they're invincible, that's when they're going to get a rude awakening. For the time being, they have some good things, some things that are good for them. The fact that 19% of Bernie's voters are out, don't want to vote for Biden, shows Trump might not actually need to try that hard. With record turnout, massive rallies, it really does seem like Trump will landslide. But I guess we'll find out in November. So stick around. Next segment will be up at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCastNews. Thanks for hanging out. I will see you all then. Last night was Mini Tuesday, where several states voted in the Democratic primary and Republican, but you know, Trump's running basically unopposed. But in the Democratic primary, a cold bucket of ice water was splashed into the face of Bernie Sanders supporters who are now realizing perhaps you've been in an echo chamber this whole time. The comments on Reddit there, I, I mean, it's, I don't, I don't want to say it's sad. I'm glad to see these people finally realize you have been trapped in a social media echo chamber of people just in a circle, patting each other on the back. We'll keep this one family friendly, but you get my point. We now have this story from the Daily Mail. How long can Bernie go on? Sanders holes up in Vermont after stunning setback without addressing his supporters. And even AOC says there's no sugarcoating it. It was a tough night. Now, I want to show you the results first. And then I want to get to, this is actually really, really fascinating. People thought Bernie was going to win Michigan. Bernie, I believe Bernie beat Hillary in, in Michigan in 2016, but Bernie did a lot better. And what people are starting to realize is that Bernie's support, what, you know, he didn't have enough to win the, the, the nomination in 2016, but he was doing well because people really, really hated Hillary, Democrats included, which contributed to Trump's defeat, which dare I say, these results are also extremely bad news for Trump. Factor in some, you know, current breaking news issues and Trump actually might be facing a serious challenge. I'll show you the data. But first, let's take a look at the the election results here. This is the uh, AP primary results map. Right now in Washington, Bernie Sanders is leading by 0.2% with 67 precincts reporting. Biden has won Idaho, Missouri, Mississippi, and Michigan. But Bernie Sanders has won North Dakota. So congratulations, Bernie, on your North Dakota win. Now, here's what's crazy about Washington. Biden basically spent nothing on ads there. Bernie dumped nearly half a million dollars and all that got him was a 0.2% lead. Guess what? The Democrats, the, the, the people who actually vote are rejecting the far left. Now, what's really fascinating about all of this is how Bernie dominates the youth vote. I'm just going to give you some advice. Don't get your advice from children because they probably don't know what they're talking about and can't win. They also don't vote anyway. It's, it's fascinating to me that there's, there, there's so many people on the left, be it, you know, the, the Greta Thunberg fans or whatever, that are, that are propping up children to guide them. And then they're wondering why they lose. Seriously? Look, man, it, there, there are young people who are very smart. There are young people who are very successful. Some of them, the, you know, most successful people in the world became, you know, internationally renowned at very young ages. 
like, you know, well, I'm not going to go off naming a bunch of people, but there are a lot of young people who can become very, very successful. The problem is too many young people don't care. They just want to fit in. So they go online and they get in that big ring of everyone shaking each other's hands. It's like, you know, Jerry from Rick and Morty. They're all shaking each other's hands and patting each other on the back, laughing about how they're going to do it. They're going to win. And then they say, okay, now everyone go out and vote. And they're like, yeah, you got it. Hey, uh, uh, put on that, put on the office. Cause I, I kid you not, that's, I, I, how much you want to bet? I'm not even exaggerating that these people who are on Reddit talking about Bernie Sanders, they're tweeting and they're posting these things like, yeah, Bernie's going to win. And they're literally sitting in their living room watching The Office because The Office is like the most popular Netflix thing. I'm not exaggerating either. I bet a serious, seriously large portion of Bernie's base was doing just that. The Daily, so let me, let me read the story from the Daily Mail. And then I want to show you the sad reality of these, these people on Reddit realizing Bernie only did well because people hate Hillary Clinton. In my opinion, Bernie flip-flopped. That cost him a lot. But they're just starting to realize they're in a bubble. They're in a bubble they couldn't see out of. Bernie Sanders chose not to give a speech Tuesday night after getting an electoral drubbing <laughs> drubbing from Joe Biden in Michigan, Missouri, and other states. It was a defeat that one of his most prominent supporters, Ocasio-Cortez, did not deny. Let's talk about it. Someone says, tell us it'll be okay. There's no sugarcoating it. Tonight's a tough night. Yeah, and so was Super Tuesday uh, for the movement overall. The first-term lawmaker and left-wing firebrand said in a video, a live feed posted to her Instagram account, tonight's a tough night electorally. Now, I want to add something to this because I've been tracking the Gallup data, and they show us some interesting trends. The Democratic Party has become less moderate and less conservative and more progressive. When Gallup actually tracked the Democratic Party and asked them how they align, liberal was going up, moderate and conservative was going down. And there was like an apex point, I think in like, not an apex, a a, a crossing, you know, between progressive and liberal, I'm sorry, progressive and moderate in 2012, I believe it was when the left wing, you know, contingent, the leftist contingent of the Democratic Party started to become uh, the the most, the dominant uh, faction. The reason this is interesting is that while the Democratic Party is becoming more left, even by their own standards, According to Gallup, people are less likely to identify as liberal today and more likely to identify as conservative. And that says something very important to me. Moderates and conservatives don't view themselves as liberal liberal anymore. They view themselves as conservative. So what I mean to say is the conservative and moderate portion of the Democratic Party are, are going down. They're leaving and now identifying themselves as conservatives or Republicans. That's why people are more likely to say they're conservative, less likely to say they are, they're liberal. And it's also why the progressives are taking on the Democratic Party. I don't think the issue is that the country is becoming more progressive. I think the issue is the Democratic Party is being dominated by the fringe activist base, and it's pushing out all of the moderates to the Republican Party. And now these people think they're conservatives. It is the craziest thing to me. I did a video. I said, do your political compass test, right? Me, I'm left libertarian, but I don't identify with these people because they're all nuts. They believe insane things. You can't simultaneously say I'm for the working class and want to provide health care to everyone in this country, but we're going to open up them borders to everybody else. It literally makes no sense. You can be for one, but not the other. So, so even someone like me, now look, I think realistically, my pol- policy positions fairly moderate. On the political compass, my idealistic version of, you know, how I want to live, it's very lefty libertarian. And the easiest way to explain that for people who are like, I don't know what that means, because libertarian is often associated with right wing economics in this country. It's, it's like this. Bunch of hippies living on a farm. 
You know, your buddy walks in and is like, hey, man, I just grew a bunch of watermelons. Would you like to share? Yeah. Hey, I just sewed this hammock. Would you like to sleep in it? That's that's like my idealistic living circumstance. Very hippie-ish, right? And even I do not agree with these people. They're authoritarian statists and their policy ideas make literally no sense. But the reason I bring all that compass stuff up is that so many people I talk to tell me they're right wing or conservative because they're, they more like, they're more likely to align with on freedom issues with conservatives. So what happens is there are people who used to be liberal, like literally Democrat liberal, and now they're finding what they like, the comedians they laugh at, the shows they like. What's that? You like Family Guy? Yeah, people love Family Guy. Oh, but Family Guy makes offensive jokes all the time. That's not left. People say, I like Dave Chappelle, but Dave Chappelle is so offensive. You like Joe Rogan? Well, apparently Joe Rogan is alt-right if you haven't been paying attention. So what happens when you have the most popular podcaster in the world, who is a very lefty dude, and all these people love listening to him, they agree with Joe, they're regular people, and then they are told by these weirdos in the media, in these bubble, bubble echo chambers of the Bernie Sanders base, that that means you're alt-right. Well, then they start to say, well, I'm not that, but you know, they, they assume they must be conservative because they're certainly not left. So the left is shrinking because of this circular firing squad, woke cancel culture. They're pushing everybody out. Congratulations. You've now built an echo chamber where you dominate certain social media platforms and it doesn't represent real life. So now you can cry all night. You're not going to win. And I I can't say I'm surprised. Check this out. Welcome to Reddit's r slash politics. For those that aren't familiar with Reddit, they used to call it, I think they might still call it this, the front page of the internet. Reddit is a site where you can submit links. People can vote up or down. And if it gets more upvotes than downvotes, there's an algorithm involved, then the post climbs to the top and you will see it at the top. So let's take a look at some of these uh, 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 websites. They like to post to politics. This used to be a general politics forum. When, when you would go on Reddit back in the day, you could find politics about anything. Now, with its 5.8 million subscribers and 64,000 people online, it is a leftist activist messaging board. I'm not kidding. And they're starting to realize it. First of all, Common Dreams is one of the sites that, they're, they're, that has been upvoted 39,100 points. Common Dreams, that's an activist website, not a news source. That is not a news website. And that's where they're getting their information from. What else do we have? Common Dreams again. Now, look, they have Politico. They have Business Insider of the Hill. You see today, they have Mother Jones, Slate, and Common Dreams again. The, the, the stories they post, this is, this, is, this is so fascinating. I'd love to see some researchers study this stuff. The stuff they post from, you know, Politico and Slate is almost exclusively anti-Trump stories, pro-Bernie stories, and ambivalent to negative Biden stories. So I can, I can point out that USA Today is a fine source. Politico can be bad. Business Insider can be bad, but they're, they, 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 do, they do okay sometimes. But when they only post the stories, or I, I shouldn't say they only post the stories, but if you try posting anything that isn't echo chamber, you get, you get basically obliterated. They just downvote you. No one ever sees the story. These are people who are literally upvoting activist websites thinking they're getting news. Bravo. You've done it to yourself. If you could take off the blinders for one minute, one minute, and then you'd realize why you were absolutely crushed by Joe Biden. Now, I'll admit, I did not expect Joe Biden to do this well. The polls, the forecast models had him tanking hard. 
Now the 538 forecast model has Joe Biden at a greater than 99% chance of winning the nomination. Surprising to even me. But look, I'm tr- when I look at the news, when I form an opinion, I'm looking at aggregate polling and stories. And we were looking at Joe Biden falling off a cliff, losing primaries, and his polling was tanking. And 538 said he wasn't going to win. It's entirely possible the trend reverses. Maybe Bernie does tr- you know, turn around or something, but I really, really, really doubt it. I mean, keep in mind, I was wrong about Biden. I mean, I don't think anybody saw this coming. That was shocking to a lot of people. But now let's take a look at the mega thread. This is a, this is a, a mega thread. Joe Biden wins uh, Mississippi, Missouri, Michigan, Democratic presidential primary. They put all of these stories about Joe Biden sweeping, winning. Check out the, the, the first comment is funny. I'll, I'll read it anyway. Drive through voting. Seattle really is the epicenter of American innovation. Yeah, it's a funny post. Check this one out. Second comment says, I think this definitively proves there are more people not on Reddit than on Reddit. This is the best take so far, they respond. I have also constantly, I, I also have to constantly remind myself that my entire internet experience is just a better disguised, more targeted version of my recommended playlist on YouTube. I've been taking extra steps this past year to diversify my information sources. These people are sitting in a room with a bunch of soy bro Bernie bros, and they're all high-fiving each other going like, yeah, we're going to win. Woo. And outside is the rest of the Democrats being like, those people are nuts. You try and walk in the room, they slam the door in your face. They call you names. They insult you. They kick you out. And they're convinced they're going to win. And all those people have walked away. Check this out. This person says, uh, in New York just now, Sanders' last hope for a notable win tonight is Washington, where polls close in 20 minutes. This is a while ago, mind you. Sanders spent $490,000 on ads there. Biden spent about 1000 LOL, $1,000 in ad spending for a state. And guess what? Joe Biden is trailing Bernie by only 0.2%. Biden didn't even bother to, to, to go. He's like, yeah, it's Seattle. It's ultra progressive. They're going to vote for Bernie. I ain't spending money there. And he should have, because now, now he might lose it by 0.2%. But that shows you just how much Bernie needed to spend to try and get a tiny edge over Biden. North Dakota is interesting. I'm surprised they went for Bernie, but I think it might have something to do with the pipelines. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of activists up there. So check this out. This person said, wow, people hated Clinton in 2016. Oh, you're starting to get it right now. It's not that Bernie Sanders was leading this revolution. And I, now that I look at this data and I see these results, I, I do kind of feel like, you know, I used to think Bernie would have beaten Trump in 2016. I'm not so sure. I am not so sure. But maybe because the people who hated, uh, who hated Hillary, vote, some of them voted for Trump. So it's entirely possible. And if that's true and they don't hate Joe Biden as much, Trump might actually lose to Biden. Keep, you know, take that into consideration with the other big breaking news story happening around the world. Trump has got some serious setbacks. So when I look at all the metrics and data of the past, there's a lot of reason to believe that Trump was going to landslide in 2020. I'm sorry, in November, it is 2020. But I'll I'll, I'll remind you all right now, this is interesting data to take into consideration. And you better not think you're going to sweep. They thought Trump uh, was going to lose to Hillary. And now it's Sleepy Joe. Check this out. This is what I find fascinating. Here's the uh, age breakdown of, I believe this. Yes, here's the age breakdown. 18 to 29 went 82% for Sanders. And that was only 15% of the vote. We can see as people got older, they were less likely to support Sanders. And there are two reasons for this. Progressive sensibilities, more likely, you know, the younger you are, the more likely you're going to believe in pipe dreams, I guess. It's young people I think are really dumb. It's also old people who are more likely to relate 
to a similar way of thinking of like Joe Biden. But I really do think the principal factor here is young people are ignorant, not stupid. I mean, people can, you know, generally stupid. As George Carlin said, think about how stupid the average person is. Now realize half of them are stupider than that. So yeah, people can be stupid, right? But I think the bigger issue is young people don't understand how anything works. Dude, an 18 year old, even up to a 24 year old, these kids who are college educated, you know, who are voting, they've never gotten their first paycheck or many of them haven't. And once they start seeing what what Sanders is proposing, they ain't going to be too happy about it. You look at the tax brackets and it's kind of scary. Bernie wants to tack on an 11.5% tax for healthcare. Now he argues that would co- it would cost less for healthcare. That is technically the truth. The issue is young people don't spend money on healthcare. He's talking about having young people subsidize older people. And that's, I get it. I get the point. But you have all these young people being like, I'll finally have health care if I pay this. You're going to be paying so much more for health care under Bernie's plan if you're a young person, because normally you wouldn't spend money. When you go to Bernie Sanders tax calculator, it's like, how much do you spend per year in health care costs? It's like, well, I'm between the ages of 18 and 29. The answer is typically zero. For real. It's really, really, really low. When you're older, it goes up. So the general idea is the young subsidize the old. And I I get it. It's not necessarily a bad idea because then the idea is that if you're a young person, when you get old, then you get subsidized unless the system becomes insolvent. And it's not necessarily a good idea. If you're paying money into a system, you will never reap the benefits of like, you know, some other government programs that don't seem to work. The point is young people hear this story about we got to tax the billionaires. I, I looked it up. I think there's 607 billionaires in the United States. And I don't know if all of them are flooding politics or anything like that. I'm sure some of them don't care, mind their own business. But Bernie, Bernie's first problem is that he said, he used to say millionaires and billionaires. Now he doesn't. Why? Well, you know, Bernie became a billionaire. As soon as he did, all of a sudden, it just didn't really matter anymore. Now it's just the billionaires, which is weird to me because Bernie's barely a millionaire and someone who's got $999 million is a millionaire. But anyway, I digress. When Bernie talks about these plans, we're going to give everyone health care. We're going to pay for everyone's college. You get a young person who's like, sounds good to me, without doing any basic math. Basic math. Okay, if you want to pay off everyone's college, guess what? You're basically going to have to tax everyone to pay off that debt or forgive it, which disrupts the system, hyperinflation, etc. There's a lot of problems involved. You can't just snap your fingers and, you, and, and do these things. There are solutions that can be worked out. But Bernie's pipe dreams have no explanation. So it's not surprising to me. That if you go to a young person and say, if you vote for me, you have a million dollars by the end of the year. They're going to be like, wow, I want a million dollars. The people who are older, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Been there, done that. I'm not buying your bridge, buddy. The older people are more cynical, more realistic, less idealistic, and are less likely to vote for someone like Sanders. More importantly, what we see here is these young people who are dancing around, acting like they care about, you know, Bernie Sanders, they don't vote. They don't care. So here's what I love about r slash politics. What you get 40,000 people upvoting an activist website. Could you even muster that many people to vote? Apparently you couldn't. So they, they go online and like, yeah, you know, go Bernie Sanders. And they press that button. And then they're like, is that voting thing today? Uh, you want to watch The Office and order pizza? Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> they don't vote. And Bernie loses because of it. But I'm gonna show you a couple more things. We'll sign this one off. Cigar and Jetty says, last night, we learned how much of Bernie's 2016 support was just anti-Hillary. 
Bernie benefited then from the rights definition of Hillary in the public eye for over two decades in politics. This time around, it was up to him to define Biden, and he never must he never mustered the strength to do so. Glenn Greenwald said, I think that's true in part, but I also think the Democratic electorate has changed over the last four years as a result of an incessant focus on Trump, typically led by conservative themes, institutions and people conservative in the broad sense that helped lead them to Biden. I don't buy it. I really, really don't. I think uh, Cigar is, is, is correct. I think a lot of Bernie support was people hating Hillary Clinton, which really helped Donald Trump. And when you if that's the case, then without the anti Hillary, Trump might actually have a hard time. But I do think it's fair to say that since Trump's uh, uh, first election, the New York Times has noted his base is larger, his approval is way higher, his favorability is typically up. So these are all really good things that show that, you know, Trump is headed to an, uh, an election win. But I think, I, you know, I used to say I thought it was going to be a blowout. I'm walking that back a little bit after seeing this. We'll see, though. I still think Trump will win. I could be wrong. And hubris will be the downfall of Trump supporters. But here's my response. I responded to Cigar saying, also, I think we learned that Bernie, I think we learned that Bernie has since surrounded himself by high profile controversial figures, and he's flipped 180 degrees on immigration. Get woke, go broke, even if it's only a little. Bernie Sanders started embracing these lunatics, these fringe woke leftist identitarians. And I'm willing to bet he lost support because of that. And I'm willing to bet there are a lot of Democrats who hate the woke left cancel culture stupidity. They see Bernie Sanders get pushed around on stage and their reaction is, I want things to be the way they were. They want Joe Biden. So they vote for Biden. I think this is a bigger factor. Bernie Sanders is saying, I'm going to help the working class and I'm also going to allow people to cross the country decriminalizing it. I won't deport them. I'm going to give them government health benefits. And then you're getting people going like, whoa, dude, what? When Bernie ran last time, he said it was a Koch brothers proposal for that open borders was. And he was in favor of border security. You got a lot of union, union Democrats behind him then. You want to know what, what this is about, in my opinion? I got to admit, I do not like Biden. I think he is not all there and I would never vote for the guy. But when it comes to, say, health care, I think Biden's right and Bernie is wrong. So Biden's general policy position, at least as far as I understand, is a public option in expanding the Affordable Care Act. And I'm like, marginal increases, public option, let people keep their private insurance. Makes sense to me. That seems reasonable. Bernie Sanders has in four years completely abolished private health care, one of the most radical positions on the planet, because even most of, most of these other countries offer supplemental private insurance. So you're looking at someone like me in 2016. I liked Bernie. You know why? He was a moderate on some issues. He was progressive on most issues, but he also said open borders. We can't do it. What, what, what do we have now? Bernie Sanders on stage raising his hand. I'm going to give everyone non-citizens government health care. What do you think the union Democrat voters did when they saw that? They were like, whoo, I'm voting Biden. That was a total 180. Bernie was asked about the Second Amendment in 2016, and he said it's a rural versus urban issue. And I'm like, bravo, good sir. Spot on. People who live in rural areas have legitimate needs for protecting themselves and their families that city folk just don't get. And and the people and, and so you end up with these urban Democrats wanting blanket laws across the entire country for everyone when the problems in cities are not the problems in these rural areas. Well, where's Bernie now? I'm proud to have a D minus from the NRA and I'm all about assault weapons ban. It's like, OK, dude, you want to know why people are, are, are moving away from Bernie? It's not just because in the past they hated Hillary, which they did. It's because Bernie got what went broke. 
And now you get a, a, a resounding defeat and you deserve it. Bernie should have maintained his, his, no, we will not open the borders. No, we will keep it a crime. Yes, we will deport, period. And he would have maintained that support because even Biden is, is like, you know, flipping. He says he's going to do a moratorium on, on, uh, on deportations. So here's what I think. I think the hate of Hillary played a big role in Bernie doing well, but you got to understand how much Bernie has changed. I used to be, a, I was a big fan of Bernie in 2016. I was super excited for him, the, but I knew he was wrong on a lot of things. And I would argue this with my friends all the time. Like you can't just say you're going to put a tax on Wall Street speculation to pay for something because you have no idea how that'll impact the markets. But I also saw him as someone who was being reasonable on a lot of issues and, and he was being honest, saying like, look, we need, we need to help the working class. TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, bad thing. NAFTA, bad thing. We got to fix these trade deals. We need better border security. I'm like, this guy's talking sense. I see what he's saying. Where's he at today? You know what, man? I, I made that point. Today, he's just, he's woke. No, we're going to let everybody come in. Okay, okay, dude. Can't happen. You cannot simultaneously claim you're going to help the working class and then you're going to tax them to pay for non-citizens because they're going to say, no way, dude, I'm not letting you take 11.5% of my income tax to then give to other people. Let me give you, let me tell you something. I'm probably going to get demonetized for even bringing this up, but I'm going to end with this. You see what's going on right now around the world and the panic and all, and, and, and everyone's freaking out, people getting sick. We are concerned that the medical, uh, inst- our medical institutions are about to reach capacity. In Italy, they're on the brink of collapse. All right, now take this, open up the borders and give non-citizens access. I'm sorry, man. I want to protect everybody, but it is a, it is a, it is a fanciful lie that you can open your front door and welcome all of the homeless of LA into your house and take care of them. It's not physically possible. So go ahead, Bernie, flip-flop in this direction and you get crushed. And the young activists on, on, on Reddit and Twitter who are just patting each other on the back, got a cold splash of water in the face. Wake up time. The next segment will be coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. I will see you all then. The coronavirus is still wreaking havoc on the global economy. Many people are super concerned. And the latest report we have, most Americans will likely be exposed to coronavirus, Republicans told. And this falls in line with similar things we heard from other experts who testified before the Senate as well as statements from Angela Merkel of Germany, who said 60 to 70 percent of Germans will end up getting this. That was the worst case scenario last month when I talked about this. It looks like now we are headed for a serious, serious disruption in supply chain. Events are being canceled. One of the biggest bits of news this morning, E3 2020 has been canceled. So this is going to massively impact the economy. And it is bad news across the board. Now, Trump has been downplaying this. He did, in my opinion, he had a good statement uh, uh, the other day. He said, look, right now you got, you got a flu that's killed way more people. That being said, we are taking this very seriously. I don't think the flu comparison is good. But I think when you're teetering between, you know, trying to stop panic and trying to make, people, make sure people are taking this seriously, it's a very, very difficult line to actually, you know, to straddle. And you have a lot of conservatives that are kind of mad that Trump isn't being a bit more direct and a bit more alert, to say the least. So we have this story, but I got a couple more. Coronavirus doctor reveals his patients in intensive care are as young as 40 and do not have underlying health conditions. I have an article I pulled up to explain to you why 
This coronavirus is serious. It's the permanent lung damage. That's what's scary. All right. I, I want you, I want to reiterate this. Permanent lung damage is possible with this. I don't know to what degree, but their, their National Geographic has an article talking about how basically it could very well affect you if you end up getting it. Now, what I want to show you here in this Daily, uh, Daily Mail article, for one, I highlighted this guy's story the other day. He's a doctor in California, in, in Calabasas, who's talking about guys in their 40s being hospitalized over this. We can see how the cases in the US are starting to increase. This graphic, I think, can be misleading because they, they don't actually, look, it's 200, 400, 600. Should, they're showing you a huge spike. So you can see relatively, it, it has started to increase more rapidly. It's more of a reporting issue as of March 10th. But I want to I show you this graphic just down below, because while we're talking about the mortality rate, take a look at Italy. With 10,149 cases, there are 631 deaths. That's around a 6% mortality rate. Italy is entirely locked down. Questions are being raised now as to whether we are going to face serious lockdown in the United States as well. I think the answer is going to be yes. That's just me. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know what you want to do or what you think you need to do, but listen, we're on a trajectory very, very similar to Italy. When it first started, it was a few isolated cases. They said, we have people in self-quarantine. It's going to be fine. A week later, they said, okay, you know, people stop going out. Don't go to restaurants. Don't go out and buy food, social distancing. And then a week later, it was total Northern lockdown. And now we are here. It's been about a month. The entire country is on lockdown. That doesn't mean hard quarantine necessarily, but apparently they're saying, if you try and leave a quarantine zone, they're going to charge you with a crime up to three months in, in jail, I believe, though there are reports that people are flying in and out of the country. The important point here is Italy looks like it has a death rate that is much higher than other countries, whereas Germany and France have a lower death rate. It's hard to know exactly what we'll end up seeing. But the, the most important thing right now is this story. So let's, let's read this. The Daily Beast reports. Last week, Republican members of Congress heard a sober warning in a closed door briefing on Capitol Hill. There's a good chance most people in the U.S. will eventually be exposed to the novel coronavirus, according to one former official. The assessment from a former White House public health official who now works in the pharmaceutical industry did not suggest that most people will become infected or ill. Rather, just that most will encounter the virus, which has killed at least two dozen Americans and infected hundreds more. Not all public health experts share that view. And not everyone exposed to the virus will become infected. Still, the briefing highlighted the potential gravity of the growing crisis. Two sources, a member of Congress who attended the briefing and a second person with knowledge of it, described the remarks made last week to the Daily Beast. They were delivered by Rajiv Venkaya, the president of the global vaccine business unit at Tokyo-based pharmaceutical giant Takeda. The member of Congress said the comment was sobering, while the second person noted it came during a discussion about how to manage the costs of medical care. Uh, the costs of medical care can relate to the coronavirus. Vinkaya pointed out that widespread access to medical care will be vital given the likely breadth of the exposure that source said. So here's what I want to do. It's political season. We now have possibly the most perfect example of why Medicare for all is a dangerous prospect. Now, there are some good things I like about it. The general idea that we can provide coverage to everyone. Universal health care does not mean Medicare for all. There are other ways to give everyone base level coverage. I've talked about my ideas, essentially, that hospitals can be, you know, give people basic care in the terms of like, if you need stitches, a broken bone, general illnesses that we know how to treat. And then there could be a system where, say, 
the government reimburses minor costs. But for people who have more, you know, extreme health issues, you're gonna need private insurance for that. I'm, I'm just saying, here's some of the ideas I've presented. But now I'm going to show you exactly why with this graph from Vox.com, why universal healthcare makes no sense. Right now, there are a lot of people complaining that they have symptoms and they can't get tested. Yes, that's normal. Not everyone can just call and say, test me. That makes no sense. And, and I'm seeing these, these threads on, on Twitter where people are saying, I can't believe it. I tried to get tested and the government wouldn't give me the test. Now I'm sitting on hold. No, stop. Not everyone can get a test because we don't have infinite tests. Think about that in the larger scale with the universal health care. When you then call your doctor and say, I want this treatment, and they say, no, not everyone can get it. Think about, you've, you've got people right now criticizing the government, saying their response to this was, was ridiculous. Yet they want the government to be in control of the entire health care system and industry. Bernie Sanders saying within four years, abolishing all private health care. That, that, that to me is nuts. What you're seeing right, right now on the, on, on the screen, I'll describe it, is called flattening the curve. It's what people have been talking about as to why it's so important to not just act like this is the flu. It's not the mortality rate can be 34 to 80 times higher depending on your age, your age range, pre-existing conditions. People in their 40s are being hospitalized for this. If we see a massive spike in daily infections, it will absolutely overwhelm the healthcare uh, system. This dotted line shows the capacity. We have finite beds. If everyone gets sick fast, it overwhelms the system and causes massive, massive disruption. So we have this graphic that's been going viral from Dr. Susie Wiles. And you have the first image. It says, whatever, it's just the cold or flu and it overwhelms the system. But if we take precautions, don't panic, but be careful. We can make sure the healthcare industry doesn't overload. Now, this is the perfect example of why we need a distributed medical system, not a centralized one. Listen, there is a healthcare capacity. And to all of the people saying it only affects older people, you are wrong. If every bed is occupied and the system is overwhelmed and you sprain your ankle, guess who's not going to the doctor? If every bed is occupied and you get a serious cut that requires stitches, guess who's not going to the hospital? This, there, there is going to be, in effect, a kind of triage system where all the beds are going to be occupied by people who are potentially on ventilators because this can seriously damage your lungs and some people could get pneumonia and they need to be, I believe it's intubated. Is that the word? I could be wrong. Right here, even if we flatten the curve to the, you know, what we're hoping for is that we will just barely get close to capacity. And that means that some little kid who trips and falls and breaks his wrist is not going to see a doctor. It will affect everyone when the medical, when our, when our healthcare system is overloaded. Take that seriously. And I want to show you what's scary about this. This is, so they say this, so it is multiphasic. Now, so the lungs are ground zero. And apparently there are, there are three phases. I, I believe they say in the early days of infection, the coronavirus rapidly invades lung cells. They say, um, mucus goes through, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the important point is down here during the third phase, lung damage continues to build which can result in respiratory failure. Even if the death doesn't occur, some patients survive with permanent lung damage. According to the WHO, SARS punched holes in the lungs, giving them a honeycomb-like appearance. And these lesions are present in those afflicted by the novel coronavirus too. I don't know about you, 
But even if it's mild symptoms, I, for one, wouldn't want to risk permanent lung damage. I hope you take that seriously, too. These holes are likely uh, created by the immune system's hyperactive response, which creates scars that both protect and stiffen the lungs. When that occurs, patients often have to be put on ventilators to assist their breathing. Meanwhile, inflammation also makes the membranes between the air sacs and blood vessels more permeable, which can fill the lungs with fluid and affect their ability to oxygenate blood. In severe cases, you basically flood your lungs and you can't breathe. That's how people are dying. So maybe you'll be okay. Maybe you'll get a mild sickness and you'll cough and you'll get over it. And maybe after the fact, you'll have permanent lung damage. I don't know to what degree everyone gets this. It seems like it might be a more rare circumstance, but it's just not worth it. So take it seriously. We want to make sure that we don't overload the system. That way, if you end up with someone, you you end up as someone who does have a really bad cough and it's damaging your lungs, you can go to the hospital to mitigate the damage. But if the system is overloaded because too many people are like, it's just like the flu, well, then we're all going to regret it. There's going to be a ripple effect here. We're already seeing, I think Italy is seeing their medical systems pushed to the limit. Medical workers need masks, gloves, and eye, and eye protection. So, so let's, let's, let's talk about the mask thing. Many, many experts are saying don't buy masks. And that is the right thing to do. Don't buy masks. You know why? Take a look at how the medical professionals are dressed when they are wearing masks. Will a mask protect you from getting, getting you know, coronavirus or other illnesses? The answer is yes, when combined with other equipment. They're wearing gloves. They're wearing eye protection. They're wearing caps and gowns. You know why? When you go into an area that's contaminated, and I did this when I was in Fukushima because of the radio, radioactive particles all over. You know, we wore everything, goggles, mask, uh, you know, something over our heads and our bodies because while the mask might protect you from immediately breathing it in, it gets all over you. And when you take it off, you take it off from the inside out. So all the particles get wrapped up and experts were there in suits taking it from us. So the problem is right now, when you remove this to say, eat, take a break, it is trash. If everyone keeps buying up masks, let me tell you what's going to happen. You put that mask on, you're going to be walking around and you're going to be breathing. And guess what? Congratulations. You won't breathe in the particles. But they'll be all over your arms and, and, your, and your shirt and your pants and your face, and they'll get in your eyes. So let's say you put on goggles and a mask. Congratulations, now it's on your hands. Later in the day, you wash your hands. Congratulations, it's off your hands. You take your mask off, you take your goggles off, and you're like, now I'm going to be okay, and it's on your shirt, and you breathe it in. Medical professionals need the supplies because they're taking extreme precautions in combination with other factors. So the people that are rushing out and buying these masks and taking it away from the healthcare workers are creating serious problems. Because if the healthcare workers get sick, that dotted line goes down even further and our medical system gets overloaded. There's a lot of people, the president included, and, and again, I, I understand I'm trying to be reasonable when, you know, we don't want to panic. And we've seen what happens in Australia with the toilet paper being snatched up so I can get it. So I, I, I understand, you know, there, 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 there are limits to <laughs> it's, it's not always easy. To, uh, it's not easy to make the choice, right? To say, go out and react or otherwise. But what's going to happen with this illness that's, that's hospitalizing, what, 20% of people who get it, which the flu doesn't do. I believe the flu doesn't do this. I, I the, the, the numbers I checked, the mortality rate for flu, 0.1%. You put these people in the, in the hospital system, you get healthcare workers sick, the whole system is, is hurt. So let's go, let's go back to the point I was making about why I think universal healthcare is a bad idea. We do not want centralized command healthcare. We do not want it. 
And I, I can't believe that we're simultaneously seeing people on the left say, we, we, this is why we need universal health care. And also the government has completely botched the response to, to the crisis. Well, how, how, can you, how can you know the government screwed this up, but want them to then expand the amount of control they have? I'm not advocating for private insurance companies as though they're going to solve this problem. Right now, it's my understanding they're going to be waiving co-pays for people who are trying to get tested and treated for the coronavirus. The issue is when it comes to the medical system as a whole, hospitals, medical you know, practitioners, we do not want them all under one centralized authority. So there is a potential argument for maybe a voucher system. We all pay taxes, and then you can choose which, which doctor or hospital you go to, so the competition remains. I'm not convinced that's going to be the case. I think you're going to see what we're seeing now with people calling up saying, I'd like to go to the doctor, and them saying, no. You're a young person. You're 27, right? And you start feeling sick, so you call the doctor and say, I think I might you know, be sick. And they're going to say, well, you're young, so sorry, we can't help you. I don't know exactly what they're going to do now because we are facing with serious stress on the, on the, on the healthcare system. But I can say that the last thing I think we need is centralizing this. Distributed systems tend to function more efficiently because individual areas can adapt to their individual circumstances. Having one federal authority try and dictate what the whole system does will result in a crash. That's why socialism doesn't work. So here's the big latest news. And this is a really good example. We've seen South by Southwest has been canceled. Google IO has been canceled. Now E3 is canceled. It's going to hit your pocketbooks. Absolutely will affect you. You're going to come in, you're likely to come in contact with it. They're, that's what they're saying, but doesn't necessarily mean you'll be infected. But they're experts saying 60 to 70 percent, which means if most people are, are you know, come into contact with it, 60 to 70 percent could end up infected. And you're going to get sick, and there's a potential for serious lung damage. Events are being canceled. Social distancing is good. I think it's smart to do this, but I can't believe it. I'm pretty shocked. There's going to be a major disruption in the year. And when you look at the chart back from, from Italy, Look at this, 18,000 in Europe total. Incredible. All the people were saying, but the flu is worse. Don't understand the death rate is substantially higher per reported cases. Do you know what the death rate would be for the flu in this regard? It would be like 18 out of 18,000 cases. Right now it's 715 in Europe. In Italy, out of 10,000 cases, they have 631 deaths. That is so much worse than the flu. And if this spreads rapidly unchecked, our healthcare system will buckle under the weight. People will die and it will get worse. Here, let, let, let me go back to this and show you why, why this is so important. It's not just about stopping you from saying going and getting checked up because, you know, the system is overloaded. When you have the system overloaded, the cases, the cases without protective measures means they're more likely to die. It means the death rate will be substantially higher. Some people need to be put on ventilators, which means we want to spread out the infection rate as wide as possible. You get the point. I, I, I can't believe that, you know, we're, we're at this point where I've done, I think like 20 some odd videos. The updates keep coming in. It's getting worse and worse. There, there was a brief period last week. I thought it was getting a little bit better. No, it's, it's, it's getting worse now. And people are really, you know, I don't know, the, the alarm bells are ringing. I hope you've gone to the store and picked up the supplies you need. CDC is advising it. FEMA has been advising it for a long time, and a lot of people are laughing about it. Well, I'll tell you what, man, all your conferences are getting canceled. And there are people who are still saying, oh, it's just media hype. It's media hype. Look at the death toll and tell me it's media hype. They say, oh, but the flu's killed more. Not this, not, not to this proportion. And that's the problem. We've caught this early, early enough. And if we take harder measures, we can keep that death rate down. Otherwise, we're going to be in serious trouble. So 
There's your update for the day, I guess. I'll leave it there. Next segment will be at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast. It is a different channel, and I will see you all then. The coronavirus is getting pretty scary, and it's hard to know exactly how to respond. I've done dozens of, of segments on this issue, but you've got a lot of people saying it's just like the flu. There are many people who are saying that because we're not testing for mild cases, it looks like the mortality rate is higher than, than it really is. But we're seeing a few stories come out of Italy right now, which should terrify you. And I don't want you to panic, but I want you to actually see how, how this could get if we don't get things under control. Now, to all the people who are saying it's just, as, it's just like the flu, it's not as bad, let me show you what's going on in Italy. The Atlantic ran a story, the extraordinary decisions facing Italian doctors. There are now simply too many patients for each one of them to receive adequate care. Based on that information, what do you think Italian hospitals have started doing? Again, this is a big argument, in my opinion, for not having centralized government healthcare systems. They are now turning away the elderly. Check out this story from the Daily Mail. Italian coronavirus death toll climbs by 196 to 827 in 24 hours a 31% increase as country's top doctors say intensive care units should stop treating the elderly. That is not where we want to be. We want to treat everybody regardless of age. But when the system is overwhelmed, triage-like systems kick in. And that means we will come to a point where there will be an elderly person asking for help and the doctors will look them in the eyes and say, no. Let me read the story from the Daily Mail. The death toll from the coronavirus in Italy has jumped in the last 24 hours. Rather than admit patients on a first-come, first-term basis, hospitals should swap to catastrophe medicine guidelines, typically used in war zones and during natural disasters where those with the greatest chance of survival are given priority. The guidelines should apply to all patients needing intensive care treatment and not just those suffering from coronavirus. According to guidance published this week by the Society of Anesthesia, Analgesia, resuscitation, and, and, and intensive care. If a limit on beds is implemented, it could mean elderly patients with no signs of coronavirus being turfed off ICU wards to make space for younger patients who have longer left to live. It comes as a rise in cases of 31% was reported today by the Civil Protection Agency, the largest increase in absolute numbers since the contagion came to light on February 21st. The total number of cases in Italy. The European country hardest hit by the virus rose to 12,462 from a previous 10,149, an increase of 22.8%. However, the agency said some 600 new cases were confirmed on Tuesday, but only reported on Wednesday. The head of the agency said that of those originally infected, 1,045 had fully recovered compared to 1,004 the day before. Some 1,028 people were intent were in intensive care against a previous 877. Italy announced 200 deaths from coronavirus on Tuesday in the largest daily rise yet as infections spiked to more than 12,000. Medics have warned the UK and US are approximately two weeks away from facing the same scenario. Stop listening to the people saying it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. The medical system in Italy is being overwhelmed and they are now discussing whether or not to turn away people and leave them to die. The people who are, who are being hospitalized are facing severe, severe respiratory ailments. They re, some of them require uh, ventilators. Now, if we get to this point where the system is overwhelmed, realize the mortality rate will go up. Now, I understand the argument about many people who get mild symptoms not being you know, tested. And so the mortality rate may be high. 
I don't know what else to do other than to operate on the guidelines being presented by the experts who are warning we can see 60 to 70% infection, and that if the medical system becomes overwhelmed, they can turn you away. And what, what more do you want? Will you really blame the doctors when they say, I'm sorry, there's literally no space? It's not personal. They're not going to want to leave you to your own devices. But if there's no space, there's no space. Italy announced 200 deaths from the coronavirus on Tuesday in the largest daily rise yet as infections spike to more than 12,000, and we are potentially facing an exponential increase. 12,000 today could be 24,000 tomorrow. The entirety of Italy has since been placed on lockdown with medics in badly hit regions saying they are struggling to cope with a huge spike in patients. In a booklet on coronavirus published on Friday, Sayari lays out its recommendations for worst case scenario. While all efforts should be taken to ensure everyone gets care, doctors say it is likely that multiple hospitals will be stretched beyond their limits in the next few weeks. Around 10% of coronavirus cases in Italy have so far developed serious complications, they note, requiring extensive treatment with ventilators, which are in short supply. In the event that they run out, Ciari says it may be necessary to place an age limit on admission to intensive care. I hope you took this seriously when I said go buy supplies. Because the last thing we need is for elderly people or those who are at high risk to now be placed in serious jeopardy because you didn't. Maybe you'll run out of food. Maybe you'll run out of water. Probably not water. We've got running water. It's fine. But food, that's where you're going to go and encounter people. Businesses may be closed. And the, and the more you, you are in contact with other people, the higher the chances are that this could reach someone you love and care about who is perhaps older or at risk. And then they may find themselves being told no by a doctor. Listen, I don't know where we're at yet. I don't think we're facing the apocalypse, but look, man, this is going to be bad. And to all the people acting like it's not a big deal, they are wrong, wrong, wrong. National Geographic is reporting that that many people have permanent lung damage. You want to talk about being maybe a young person and how you'll probably get these symptoms and be fine. It's just like the flu. And then you will leave with serious lung damage for the rest of your life, or at least permanent. I don't know if it's super, how serious it can be. But now I'm going to show you something truly graphic. And I hope you're all prepared for the seriousness of what's going on, especially in Italy. You've been warned. Now, before I show you something truly graphic, I want to remind you, Italy was facing a few isolated cases weeks ago, like seven. And so they did basically what we're doing now. And a few weeks went by, and then they started locking down northern Italy. And then another week or two, and now the whole country is locked down. And they're looking at a death toll of around 6% or more. Out of 12,000 cases, they've got eight, 800 plus deaths. So the numbers are going up. Now I'm going to show you what it looks like when you're in a quarantine and you face the worst possible scenario, a loved one losing their life. In this story, Gamora actor pleads for help after being trapped with his sister's dead body for 36 hours while quarantined over coronavirus fears in Italy. The death toll for this is much higher than, than, than the flu, substantially. And we can speculate about how many people there may be and what the death rate may actually be. Well, we, we don't know that. We know for now that people have no immunity to this, which means they are likely to get it. Germany is concerned 60 to 70% will contract this. And I bet all of the people who have talked about open borders all day and night are realizing the challenges when you do not have restrictions and regulations on who can come. Because from Italy, it spreads. 
And now all of the European Union has some cases. And just like Italy early on, it will likely get worse. I don't know what else to tell people because, you know, I think it's fair to point out early on, I said it's probably not going to be as bad as the flu. We've seen SARS and MERS. And now here we are. It is way, way, way worse. And when Italy first got hit, people said it was nothing. Look where they are now. We might not get to that point. We can only hope we will not get to that point. But if you do not take this seriously, you may find that it is you trapped in your house with the body of a loved one, and there is nothing you can do about it because this is what quarantine is. The reality of the situation is that people in Italy poo-pooed everything, and it got this bad. And I assure you, there are now people in other parts of Europe who think it's fine. Italy just underreacted. Give it two weeks, and I'd be willing to bet we're going to see the rest of Europe facing similar problems. Give it two or three weeks, and the United States can be facing something similar. If you don't have to go out, you shouldn't. If you don't have to go to the store, you shouldn't. But look, I got to be honest. I'm not an expert on this. I don't know how long it'll take. I don't know what'll happen. But I'm just sitting here and, and, and look, you know, I wanted to laugh. I laughed. The people who mocked me on Twitter and on social media saying, ha, Tim saying buy emergency food. I laughed. Now I'm not laughing. Now I'm worried about them. I genuinely mean it. This guy is quarantined in Italy. And the quarantine is, is so, well, the lockdown is so, I guess, severe. Or maybe severe is not the right word, but serious that he's been sitting in his house with, with his sister who died and he needs help. The hospitals are being overwhelmed and they're considering telling the elderly you will not be treated. Is this the flu? I don't remember China mobilizing massive construction of hospitals, locking down their country, barricading people in their homes over the flu. I think the governments know how bad it is. And I think all the information we're getting that's telling us that it's going to be bad is actually the light narrative. Now, there are some people saying it's fine. It's, it's not worse than the flu. Look, when the government reacts this way, when governments react this way and then come out and say it's not that bad, we've got it under control, but, but you know, take it seriously, that's the light message to prevent panic. And yet we're still seeing panic. I think the reality is with, with, the, with the jump in the death toll, with hospitals being overwhelmed, I think it's going to be much worse than people even realize. But I don't know for sure. I don't want to tell you to do anything. I don't know what you should do. I'll tell you what I did. We went out early. We bought groceries. We got some emergency food, and that was about it. And we're going to hang out. We're going to eat that food. But we're not, we're not, we're going out very little. We're not having celebrations at bars and going bowling and go to the movies. We're, we're, we're chilling at home, playing board games and stuff like that. I don't know what, if it's the right thing to do, but I know the CDC is advising the elderly, elderly to now distance themselves. Don't go out and do these events, and they want you to, to stock up. I hope we do not end up where Italy is at. But based on how things went, it seems it seems probable. But I don't know. I don't know. I'll see you on the next segment coming up in a few minutes. Donald Trump has just secured another Supreme Court victory, this time over the Remain in Mexico policy, also known as the Migrant Protection Protocols. This is the policy that says if a migrant comes through Mexico and comes to the U.S. and applies for asylum, they must wait in Mexico. Now, a, a previously a court shot this down saying you can't do it. In response, the Trump, the, the federal government, I don't necessarily say Trump did it, but the federal government deployed tr- soldiers, troops. I believe it was National Guard down to the border in two different states. Well, now Trump has won and the Supreme Court has sided with him. Let's, uh, let's read this story from Fox News saying Supreme Court gives Trump win by allowing remain in Mexico policy to continue. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has said a week earlier 
that it would block the policy in Arizona and California, the two border states where its authority extends. The Trump administration then turned to the Supreme Court for relief. The application for stay presented to Justin, Justice Kagan and, uh, and by her referred to the court is granted. And the district court's April 8th, 2019 order granting a preliminary injunction is stayed pending the timely filing and disposition of a petition for a writ of certiorari. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. The Supreme Court said in an order, which noted that Justice Sonia Sotomayor opposed the Trump administration's stay application. The high court action came a day before the lower court court order was to have taken effect. Instead, the remain in Mexico policy will remain in force while the lawsuit challenging it plays out in the courts. The Justice Department responded Wednesday by saying the high court's order restores the government's ability to manage the southwest border and to work cooperatively with the Mexican government to address illegal immigration. We are gratified the Supreme Court granted a stay, which prevents a district court injunction from impairing the security of our borders and the integrity of our immigration system, a DOJ spokesman said. The policy officially known as migrant protection protocols required, I I told you what that was. The court of, is a quote, the court of appeals unequivocally declared this policy to be illegal. The Supreme Court should as well, said Judy Rabinovitz, an American civil liberties union lawyer who represents asylum seekers and immigrant advocacy groups in the case. Asylum seekers face grave danger and irreversible harm every day. This depraved policy remains in effect. Now, I'm going to stop there and say there's no guarantee that they'll be safe in America or, or, or Mexico. I don't understand the, the opposition or the argument trying to be made. If someone comes to the U.S. and they're wa- walking around the desert and they get picked up and then want asylum and get released, where do they go and what will they do? And what's the difference between being homeless in the United States and in Mexico? Is it the assumption that because we live in a wealthier country, we can, we can uh, provide for them or that other people can? I honestly don't know. Maybe there's an answer. You tell me. The administration had argued that thousands of immigrants would rush the border if the high court didn't step in. The Supreme Court's order noted that the stay only applies while the administration files a petition for the Supreme Court to review the Ninth, the Ninth Circuit's decision. Should the court decline, the stay will be lifted and the policy will go back to being blocked. Should the court decide to hear the case, the stay will remain in effect until the court hands down a decision. About 60,000 asylum seekers have been returned to Mexico to wait for their cases to uh, wind through clogged U.S. immigration courts since the policy was introduced in January 2019 in San Diego and later expanded across the border. Now, here's what I want to do. This is Trump's a big win for Trump. It's not definitive yet. It's just, you know, allowing his policy to continue. But I have a story from BuzzFeed, which I think is very important to explain to you the problems of illegal immigration and why Bernie Sanders opposed illegal immigration back in 2015. Because there are corrupt individuals who would exploit the desperate and put them in positions that are not safe. And essentially, you know, look, companies want to make money, cut benefits, pay dirt wages, and they can bypass the law if they know you are not legally allowed to work. Take a look at this story from BuzzFeed. Ukrainian migrants said they were lured to Germany, then made to work in squalid conditions with barely any pay. Two of them said they worked at a warehouse belonging to a logistics giant, which now says it is conducting an internal investigation a BuzzFeed News Germany investigation. I think, it's, I think it's interesting that BuzzFeed tends to align with the left on a lot of issues. Yet here they are pointing out one of the biggest problems with illegal immigration. These migrant caravans that were coming to the US you know, in the, in the past year, many of these migrants were saying they were promised jobs. 
They were told that when they came there, they would be welcomed in and there were job fairs. And this was your big opportunity to come to America. It was a lie. It was exploitation. And it was major corporations that were trying to exploit these desperate people so they could pay them dirt and make more money for themselves. And it used to be the left that called this out. It's not today. Today, it's Republicans for some reason. Today, it's the conservatives. Bernie Sanders said in 2015, it was a right wing Koch brothers position to support open borders. Yet here we are today with Bernie Sanders saying no deportations, decriminalize border crossings and break up customs and border protection, which would effectively give those those industrialists exactly what they want, a permanent surf class that will be doing labor for dirt wages that won't be deported. They don't have to provide benefits to it too. That's what these companies wanted. But it was Donald Trump that sent immigration officers to raid these chicken processing plants. And when those people got deported, it was local African-Americans who picked up these jobs, not entirely, but mostly. And it's a story we've seen playing out, played out before. The left was supposed to oppose this, but I can't tell you what happened or why, but these people have lost their minds. If somebody is going to try to exploit these migrants and asylum seekers to give them dirt jobs, perhaps the best thing we can do is stop the system entirely. With Trump's remain in Mexico policy, these companies can't even try to start exploiting them because under Trump's rules, they can't get in. It's very strange to me then the Democrats would want to support a policy that creates a surf class of people. But I, I can't say I'm surprised. As I've mentioned time and time again, even the left-wing publication Vox noted the Democrats in 2016 became the party of the ultra wealthy. They abandoned the Republican Party because Trump's insurgent populist base took over. Where did they go? To the Democrats, the never Trumpers, the neocons. They went right to the Democrats and said, we're here to support you because you're better than Trump. And it looks like Although many of them don't wield particular, uh, they don't wield influence. Enough of their ideas have seeped into the Democratic Party, and now the Democrats are actively supporting policies which would create serfs. These are people who are not citizens, who have no, have limited access to benefits and resources, can be paid below minimum wage, and think about what that does. It allows a company to have people who can't complain, who get no health care benefits, no labor rights. They won't be deported, which means these businesses are guaranteed that cheap labor. Now, I'm going to show you one more story to make a point about illegal immigration. The Hill op-ed, Turkey weaponizes refugees against Europe. Whether or not you want to accept it, there are countries that understand how they can manipulate and cause economic damage and hurt everyone by forcing refugees into their countries, because this will put a strain on everyone particularly the refugees themselves. If you refuse to accept that there are people exploiting those who would go on long, dangerous journeys, then you condemn these people to dying in the wilderness, to falling down and injuring themselves, to being lost in the woods. And we see these photos from the southern border of the US where a, a man and his daughter are face down in the water. That's because the, these people who would exploit them are encouraging them to come, make dangerous journeys that many of them don't survive. And then you say we should keep encouraging this. I just don't get it. I really, really don't. I'm not saying Trump's policies are 100% correct. I'm saying he's, it seems to be the Republicans are the only ones having a conversation about how we disincentivize people making these dangerous journeys. 
in Europe, Erdogan of Turkey is repeatedly threatened. He would push the refugees out into other countries, using them as a cudgel against against those who would not give him what he wants because he knows it would hurt them. He knows it would hurt these countries. But I think about it this way. It reminds me of a superhero movie. And the bad guy knows that trying to fight the superhero isn't helping him. So what does he do? He takes, a, he takes aim at the innocent bystander. That's what it feels like to me. Someone like Erdogan knows he wants leverage. He wants power. So instead of arguing against these countries, he says, I'm going to hurt the refugees. And these countries then have no choice but to try and jump in front of these people to save them. He also knows that it can cause economic de- uh, you know, destabilization. These people will clash on the borders. And it's going to, for the most part, well, it'll hurt everybody. But who's getting hurt the most? The people with no homes and nowhere to go. You need to make sure you do not allow these people to exploit those who are desperate and in need. We need to make sure that those who seek a better life can improve the countries they live in so they don't need to flee anymore. So they can plant a tree whose shade they know they will never sit beneath. So that in 50 years, their children will have that better life. But if we just encourage them to leave, to leave behind this, this country and leave it in ruins, make a dangerous journey they can't survive, and then be exploited by companies that don't want to pay fair wages, you are just perpetuating suffering. Sometimes the correct answer isn't the one that provides immediate relief. Sometimes the hard choice is the correct one and will lead to a better future for everybody. But stop playing games. Stop falling victim to those that would weaponize refugees. I got another segment coming up for you in a few minutes. I'll see you all shortly. Many of you may be aware that recently Project Veritas released undercover footage of an ABC News reporter saying that they're basically biased against the president. All they really care about is the outrage of the day, and they don't give the president credit for the things that he actually does. Well, recently in an investors meeting, an investor challenged Disney CEO Bob Chapek, who then went on to downplay pervasive anti-conservative bias. But the audience apparently wasn't having it because they gave a massive applause for this man after he said 93% of network coverage of Donald Trump is negative. That is not objective. He challenged the CEO and asked him what he would do to bring objectivity back to ABC News. The audience cheered for it. It's a good sign. And I'll give a shout out to Project Veritas. Good job. I covered that video about the ABC News reporter. And there's some complicated feelings going on here. They suspended the guy and all he really did was candid, you know, be candid and tell the truth. But he did negatively impact their business. I can kind of understand it. But hey, it's good to hear the truth. The important thing about what Project Veritas did is that every time they do something like this, they're pulling back the curtain so we can see the bias for what it really is. When these reporters are on camera saying ABC, one, two, three, X, Y, Z, whatever, they're not telling you the truth. And this guy straight up says it. Unfortunately, it was only on undercover footage. Do we truly see that when you turn on cable TV and see that reporter talking, they are probably lying or at the very least misleading you and not telling you the truth? Let's check out this story from Fox News. Let me show you this tweet first from James O'Keefe. He says, breaking massive applause from the audience after Disney CEO Bob Chapek was confronted at the annual investors meeting over Expose ABC and Epstein cover-up. A lot of folks here, uh, he said, quote, a lot of folks here know a few weeks ago, Project Veritas exposed a video. Now, Fox is reporting that he's downplaying the scandals. And what more could you expect? But I got to say, man, if you're an investor 
and you're at these meetings, I assure you, many of these investors are conservative and moderate. They're not all left leaning. How do you have network coverage of the president being 93% negative? Everything always negative. And you know what I love? They say, Tim, how come everything you always do about, about Trump is like you talk about how the Democrats are bad? I'm like, oh, enough funny, isn't it? I don't see you complaining when you look to literally every other network with 93% negative coverage on the president. And the funny thing is, my coverage of Trump typically is not overwhelmingly positive either. Now, I'm pretty much in the middle guy. I can point out when Trump does well, and I criticize him for a lot of things I don't like about him, but fairly ambivalent, right? That's what's incredible about the bias at these networks, that my being fairly ambivalent and saying, eh, Trump's not, Trump, he's, he's kind of bad, but he's not that bad, right? It's not enough for them. They say that mentality that Trump is not that bad is proof. I must be right wing when I'm not. I'm just not, I don't know, crazy. I don't get, you know, I don't get stuck in a, in a tizzy freaking out for every little thing the president does. I say, yeah, been there, done that. We've had a lot of presidents, but that's what they demand. All or nothing. The networks chase after it. Let's read this story. Fox reports new Disney CEO Bob Chappick was confronted by an investor about ongoing issues at ABC News on Wednesday, but the high powered executive brushed off the criticisms and the investor then blasted him for having his head in the sand when it comes to the pervasive anti-conservative bias across ABC News. Justin Danhoff, the general counsel for the National Center for Public Policy Research, cited data showing ABC News is overwhelmingly negative toward President Trump and mentioned other scandals that have come out of the news division in recent memory when speaking to Chappick at the company's annual investors meeting. ABC News recently suspended veteran Washington correspondent David Wright, excuse me, for remarks he made that were captured by Project Veritas. The controversial Project Veritas is the same group that published footage of ABC anchor Amy Robach claiming ABC News executives killed a story that would have exposed the now deceased Jeffrey Epstein three years ago. Dan Hoff, who has shown up to Disney shareholders meetings to ask fiery questions in the past, told Chapek that he had been imploring former CEO Bob Iger to address ABC News issues for years. Yeah, but guess what? They're not going to do it because they are biased as well. They also care more about making money. They've found their audience. They're chasing after it. Now, I'll, I'll be fair. I think when you come to my content, you're going to get Tim Pool's point of view and Tim Pool's focus. And guess what that means? The stories I do on my main channel in this one are typically pointed in a specific direction. I'm lightly critical of the president, but only really lightly. I'm not super, I don't freak out over what he does. I just think he's another president. He's got some good things behind him, some bad things behind him. Very critical, critical of the Democrats and social justice, far left insanity. And that's what you're going to get when you watch me. You go to my main channel, youtube.com slash Timcast. What do you see? You're going to see a lot of stuff saying Democrats are screwing up on this one and this one. Trump is winning in this regard. And all of these things are true. Now, there's a few things I'll point out. On my main channel, I'm just focused on what I think is the most important thing throughout the day. And so there's probably other stuff you're not getting from me. So it's important you watch other people's content. Otherwise, you'll only hear what I'm thinking is important. Not a good place to be for for the most part. But I do appreciate that most of you watch. I will also be the first to recognize this problem but point out the most important difference between me and ABC. I'm a dude complaining on the internet about his feelings. It's not perfect. I encourage you to watch other people's content. It's important you do, because when I make a video and you see all my videos talking about very similar things, Trump is winning, Democrats are losing, slightly critical a little bit in Trump on certain areas, you are just seeing me saying, here's what I think is important. I'm one person with a point of view, with opinions, and I talk about what I care about. 
If you go to ABC News and click on one columnist, you will find the exact same things. Their opinions tend to fall in line in a similar direction. Why? Because it's their opinion of the same person. Their opinions don't change every other day. There's things that they think are important. However, when 93% of ABC News's coverage is negative about the president, that means there is a mandate at the company and an editorial decision to not provide you with a wide range of perspectives. My channels are literally just me. That's it. And so that's what you're going to get. But YouTube is a major network where you can get Jimmy Dore, David Pakman, and Tim Pool, and have an opportunity to see a little bit from everybody if you so choose. But if you go to ABC, which is a network, you're only going to get Orange Man Bad. Imagine if YouTube outright deleted my channel and maybe any other moderate to conservative voice. So the only thing you ever saw was Orange Man Bad. That's what ABC has done. And even YouTube won't go that far. As much as YouTube is actively suppressing my channel, demonetizing many people who are either moderate or conservative, typically conservatives, because let's, let's be real, there's very few moderates on YouTube, but there's a decent amount. There's some good people. They're also negatively impacting progressive channels as well, like Jimmy Dore and like David Pakman. The point is, you can choose to go to one of two websites. If you go to youtube.com and you're, you're going to be algorithmically fed content they think you like, there is an opportunity for you to find someone who will tell you, hey, I can't give you the full picture. Make sure you watch other people. Not everybody will do it. CNN certainly doesn't want to do it. They don't want you to go in other places. But I'm not running these channels because I'm a major corporation trying to you know, please my shareholders. I'm just talking about my feelings on the internet. And guess what? It kind of works out for me. I know that if I did what ABC did and actively focused on trying to drive the the craziest narrative every day, if I told you, don't change that channel, don't leave my channel because I'm the only one telling the truth, then I'd probably get more views. I'd have more people just following me and ignoring everyone else. And that'd be great for me. But that's not what I do. That's not why I do this. I, I, I actually care about what's really going on in the world. I actually care about is President Trump doing well or not? And guess what? On a lot of things, he is. On some things, he's not. That's just the way it is. So when you watch me, I'm not going to tell you don't subscribe to other channels. I'm actively saying, I've said it many times, I usually recommend Jimmy Dore and David Pakman. I don't think they, they agree with each other for the most part. But Jimmy Dore will give you, at least my understanding is, an establishment critical leftist perspective. We often agree on a lot of things, but for different reasons. And David Pakman is going to give you more of a mainstream progressive establishment view, very much contrasting my view. This is awesome. I love it. I can actively say, look, I don't agree with them. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm wrong. But at least on this site, you have the opportunity to watch them. Now, what would happen if you woke up in the morning and you said abcnews.com enter? There is an editorial mandate within the company that guides 93% negative coverage about the president. You are almost only going to see orange man bad. And that's going to warp your view of the world. And they're doing it because they want to make money. I'm telling you my opinions and what I think. And I'm not as much as these activists want to say, Tim Pool's grifting. That's not the case. I, I put progressives in my recommendation bar because I want to make sure that you are getting a better news diet. ABC News has the opposite mandate. How do we maximize profits? And the way you do it is to rile up one mark, one por- portion of the market you can grasp onto. And that's the orange man bad resistance market that networks have been chasing after forever. So of course, the president is going to down, I'm sorry, the CEO is going to downplay the negative press about the president and say, no, no, you're wrong. It's not true. It's not that bad. In reality, what he's really saying to you is, come on, man, we're all trying to get a little that green. 
Don't, don't, don't ruin the ride now. Trump is, the Trump bump has been the best thing for these networks. Their ratings were in decline up until Trump came around and started talking with his potty mouth. Now we can just screech all day and night. Boom, we get mad cash. But that's going to have a negative impact on the rest of this country. And it's going to make tensions and polarization much worse. And they're doing it because they make money. So let me just wrap this up by saying, there are YouTubers who are grifters who will say whatever they need to say just to get your sweet, juicy clicks. That's, it's, it's unfortunate. And there really is a fine line between someone like me, you know, and, and, and one of these grifters in that I have an opinion, man. And I think the Democrats are flubbing everything. I think Biden's got problems. Bernie's got problems. I'll criticize Trump along the way. I criticize Dan Scavino and Trump for putting up the, uh, that, that clip, that out of context clip of, of, uh, Joe Biden, but I've got my perspective. So you really got to watch other channels. CNN, they tell you the opposite. Don't watch Fox News. The spinsters only come to us. That's their mandate. It's to make money and nothing else. And that will screw with you. I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. I will see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. podcast at at 630. Adios.